Welcome to this week's edition of the Wispy Mop Music Acoustic Radio Podcast Series. I'm your host, Todd, middle initial, C. Walker. Yes, that's right, it's me. And we've been listening to the title track from the 2017 CD, Chocolate, by Les Hatley. And for those of you who don't know who Les Hatley is, he's a longtime Washington, D.C. area guitar player, both with electric guitar and acoustic guitar. He's a a member of the Maryland Entertainment Hall of Fame. He has won a Whammy Award in the Folk Contemporary Instrumentalist category, and he has also received the Director's Award for Instrumental Music for the album Chocolate, from which that song came from. His songs have been included on television soundtracks on the Discovery Channel, Animal Planet, MTV, and the Learning Channel. He's played in a number of different groups over the years. He's enjoyed opening shows for notables such as Roberta Flack, Lou Christie, The Coasters, Gary U.S. Bonds, Steppenwolf, and others. He's played venues ranging from bars to churches to the historic Old Town Theater in Alexandria, Virginia, and the Black Rock Center for the Arts in Germantown, Maryland, the Lincoln Theater in Washington, D.C., the John F. Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts, and the White House. And now, for the Wispy Mop Music Acoustic Radio Podcast, we have Les Hatley on the line. Hi, Les. Hi, Todd. How are you doing? I am well, and I apologize for all the crackle. I don't know why we're getting so much crackle on our our connection here, but hopefully it's not too distracting for you, for me, and for the folks listening. But let's talk about your CDs. You have, what, three solo CDs and then uh, a single release called The Painting? Is that correct? Yeah, um, and after that bio was written, um, I recorded a, a song with um, that I wrote that um, had... Uh, Lynn Hollyfield sing on called um, Say You Will. It was um, there's a, a producer named Jim Ebert, and he uh, is the founder of something called a foundation called Cancer Can Rock. The um, the, the foundation uh, will record a song free of charge for people with um, cancer, such as myself. And um, when we recorded it. Now, physically, no shape to, to record, um, but you know, what was that? Went did it anyway, and brought in Lynn Hollyfield to sing the song for me. And it's really done quite well um, on the Roots Music Report national charts, and um, a lot of a lot of airplay. Well, many of your well, I don't. I guess it's CDs or songs from your CDs have been played or been on the charts for quite a long time, haven't they? Yeah, never number one, but never never number bottom either. <laughs> well, you know what? I know so few people who have ever made a chart of any kind. Kudos to you. Well, thank you. I've been very lucky. Now, how did you get into music in the first place? Well, let me see. On September 1st, 1964, I had my first guitar lesson. And I remember that date because my mother would remind me that um, I took my first guitar lesson on the day my little brother was born. I know when it was. Um, I can't forget. And no. I, um, I was a regular young, dumb kid that um, had seen the Beatles on TV and struck a nerve. And then, and, um, 1965, I joined up uh, with a group called The Showmen, which was an R&B group led by um, Tom Carco, the um, infamous uh, music manager, um, and my buddy. And um, we played in The Showmen for several years, and um, that was that's that's where it all began. Now, what style of music did the showman play? It was uh, Otis Redding, Wilson Pickett, James Brown type band. 
Were you go ahead. Were you the rhythm guitar player, the lead guitar player, or both? Both. The the band for the first several years was you know, guitar, bass, and drums, a horn section, and at least one or two singers. Wow. So it was there's only one guitar, but I, I had all the duties. And Tom Tom Careful played bass. And um, we had a, a very good run. It was with that group that uh, we opened um, a show for Roberta Flack and Charlie Bird. And we also played as um, the backup band for a fantastic Johnny C. He had a hit record back in the late 60s called, um, oh, what was it called? Was that the one that's titled Boogaloo Down Broadway? Yeah, yeah, Boogaloo Down Broadway. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm old. I'm forgetting stuff now. The only reason I know is it's sitting right in front of me on my computer screen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Now, at that point in time, were you pl- still playing your first guitar, or had you had some, you know, two or three guitars prior to that? Only um, I had an acoustic guitar, and then a really lame, uh, cheap electric guitar. But when I first started playing out in public, I played um, a um, Fender Telecaster, which, um, no, it was a, a Gibson whole body Gibson that um, my friend Frank Raddus uh, lent to the loaned to me. And, um, and after that, he loaned his um, telecaster to me. And Frank was, um, in fact, he's one of the people I dedicate my book to. Frank went on to be, um, at one point, the president of the um, National Association of whatever that is the outfit that awards the uh, the Emmys, which I thought was pretty cool. Yes, absolutely. Now, you, okay. you just mentioned your book, and I was going to save that to later, but since you brought it up, explain to people what the book is. It's called um, Kindred Spirits, an American Music Journey. Um, what it is, is, um, explain with my very first gig, which was in September 1965, there was a little public service announcement about the gig and the showman in one of the newspapers. I took it out and I simply made it a habit to uh, to save things like that and photographs, but not just of my band, but anybody I met along the way. And um, I maintained that scrapbook for 55 years. It grew to be 17 volumes. Wow. And I um, scanned it all on my laptop. And I knew that sometime it would be good to um, share it as a book somehow. So I met with my friend um, Mark Opsaznik. He's the one who wrote um, Rock the Potomac, mm-hmm. which is and also Captain Rock and some other books. I met him out at the New Deal Cafe and um, had my laptop and I showed him the scanned images and he, he, was really, he really liked that a lot. And uh, he and I had already developed a, a friendship and dialogue about books and so forth. And um, I learned a lot from him. But at that meeting, he told me, he said, you're going to have to write something about every page. You know, who it is, what story is. I thought, oh, my Lord. <laughs> so I sat on the process it for years. And also, I had to winnow down the pages. It wound up being, I think, like 16, at least 1,600 pages long. And I had to narrow it down because that's just too much. I just recently, finally put the last touch on it. I limited it down to 744 pages. And what it really is in the, the um, title, Pinterest Spirits, it's about us, not big rock stars. It's about us. Now, you, you're in the book, Todd. I am? Yes, sir. Yeah, I kept pictures of and articles and photos 
um, business cards, anybody I ever met. And um, that went into the scrapbook. Newspaper articles about whomever, Patty Reese, um, anybody um, that I knew. But I had to have some connection with it somehow. Um, and the, the book is probably about 80, 85% images, and the remainder is the, uh, the narrative that what I had to write at the bottom of the pages. Um, and it's more about me than, um, I mean, more about everybody else than about me. There are probably some, well, on each page, I um, in the narrative, I bold, bold the, um, the name of the person, the people that I'm drawing attention to. But when they're flipping the pages, they can see their name. And there are at least 1,700 names. You've met a lot of people in that time period. Yeah, and that's just the people that, well, they had, there had to have been an exchange of something tangible. Mm -hmm. Because anybody can write stories, anybody can write anecdotes that they think they remember correctly. But my, my whole book is based on actual tangible things. You can look at a, um, a, uh, a, a bar flyer about who's playing there that month, and that's who played there that month. It's not a matter of speculation. It's just that's what it was. A newspaper article was written, and there it is, about whomever. Um, pictures of a zillion of my friends playing, a lot of pictures from uh, Brewer's Alley, where you were at, and um, Frederick Coffee Company. Um, and so I was, um, I knew that it was about not just my journey, but our family, our big music family's journey from over well over 50 years. And, but I was stymied. I didn't know exactly what to call the book. And then um, one day I was listening to an interview on um, the uh, Tacoma Park Radio Station, WOWD, which is um, um, run by Robbie White. And he was um, interviewing Abad Bayram, who's a local DC rock star. He's from India. He was um, part of the legendary group Raz, R-A-C-Z. We play with other groups, including Art Dodger. Anyway, Robbie was interviewing him about his story. And he talked about growing up in India and the music they were playing there. I was listening to that and I thought, it's like he was here, you know, playing a lot of the same music and um, feeling about it the same way. And I mentioned that too about um, uh, in writing in a comment. And um, the other were, were kindred spirits. And I thought, at that moment, I thought, now I know the name of the book. Because that's what we all are. We're musical kindred spirits. Yeah, that's true. Doesn't matter whether you're a rocker or a folky or whatever. Music is um, really just one big family. I mean, that's what the, if it's about anything, it's about that. Now, the, if I'm not, if I'm correct, I think I saw on Facebook that it's going to be published and released sometime in the near future. Am I correct? That is correct. I'm um, working with a publisher now, just trying to make some final decisions, um, and I think that probably, hopefully, by the end of June, it'll be available. It'll be available online, and to a limited degree. I say online, you can buy it, you'll be able to buy it online. Now I'll have some books myself that I'll be able to sell to people. But it'll be there. And um, eventually, or maybe, maybe right away, but at least eventually, it'll also be available as an ebook, Kindle, so things like that. I think I, I think I would like to have the physical book. Yeah, you know, I, I put out a... Um, I've been sharing bits and pieces of the book on Facebook for a long time just to keep the, um, keep the buzz going mm -hmm. and to get reactions to people to see if this is something that will mean something to them. And um, all in all, it helped inspire me to go ahead and finish it off. It is 
gargantuan project. And um, recently I did a post where I, I, I told my friends that um, I had some decision to make. That um, part of the deal is uh, I must first purchase 25 hard copy or 25 copies of the book myself. And then it'll go online uh, on Apple and be available uh, print on demand basis. And uh, I was trying to decide what slide buy because the difference between a um, hard copy color book, because it is in the 744 pages, almost all but a few pages are images with some narrative. And so, you know, you publish a book of photos, images, it's going to cost more than your regular book. Right. And if you do it in color, it costs a whole lot more. And so I put the word, I said, trying to get a feel for what people might want. A um, color hard copy at, at a minimum of $119, or a color soft copy with a minimum of $106, a black soft cup, black and white soft cover um, for $56. And every single one of the people that responded did wholeheartedly in a um, hard copy color. And so with that, I, you know, I decided that's what I'll go with. And now, have you been taking pre-orders from folks? Now we're not at that stage. I, um, I've got to make sure that everything's in place. Sure. And when it is, I'll announce it anywhere I possibly can. Well, when that time comes, um, will you post that on your, I, probably on Facebook, will you put it on your website or, or let me know personally? Because I know three or four people here in Frederick um, who would love to have a copy of that, and I wouldn't mind you know, gifting them a copy. Well, I appreciate that very much. Uh, yes, I'll, yes, I will. I'll let, I'll let the whole whole world know any way I can. <laughs> now, was there ever a time while you were collecting all these playbills and newspaper articles and whatever it was, where either someone in your family or you said, "Why the heck am I keeping all this stuff?" Actually, no. Um, everybody I've ever met along the way has um, been meaningful to me. And um, I've never, never regret for a moment uh, keeping those um, that memorabilia. No regrets whatsoever. And um, you know, they didn't think I was crazy. Not for that, maybe for other things. But <laughs> <laughs> Well, I am so looking forward to, uh, to getting my copy, for sure. So to definitely let us know. Now let's go back to you're you know playing in bands and guitars and things like that okay. of all the electric guitars that you have played and or owned what's your favorite well my um favorite probably as much for sentimental uh, reasons as anything is um the maple neck telecaster that i bought in the late 60s um i played it um in, in gigs for many, many years. But it, it, um, it's still authentic. I didn't have anything changed on it. But my, my bandmates used to tell me, don't you change a thing on that guitar. And it got to be that it was so um, valuable. Um, not quite retirement fund, but still pretty valuable. I stopped playing it out. I stopped taking it out. Yeah. And... Um, for the workhorse, workhorse guitar after that was a 1977 Fender Midland Fender Stratocaster. That one I, I did um, Hot Rod with um, Fender Fat 50s and a Seymour Duck and Hot Rail pickups on it. And uh, it was bad. <laughs> or as I used to tell people, bad isn't good, right? Yeah. As in Michael Jackson bad. Yeah, and um, yeah, I have a, a number. I've got a lot of guitars, and 
played each one of them out somewhere along the way, a lot or a little. But the um, probably the the true workhorse that as a guitar my favorite was the is the Stratocaster. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as acoustic guitar is concerned, hands down, my twelve string twelve string acoustic electric Ibanez, which is what I played on chocolate. Now, if I'm if I remember correctly, you name some of your guitars. You give them a name. Yeah, I don't know exactly how that happened, but um, the uh, the acoustic pulse thing I named named it Nelly. Nelly has more friends than I did, <laughs> but eventually Nelly um, developed arthritis in the in her neck. So I couldn't play it that much. But I bought a uh, another 12-string from a friend of mine, which was a Fender 12-string acoustic with pickups. And um, I named it Frida. That name I just made up. Nelly came to me, apparently, um, from the heart. I don't remember, but it was an affectionate name. But Frida was just a name. And people expected me to have a name on my acoustic guitars. So, so if you yeah. if you were playing on stage and you had a guitar tech who would bring your guitars to you, you you'd ask for Nelly or Frida. Nelly or Frida, or Grace, are are the red one. Now, uh, which one is Grace? Grace is the um, celebrity ovation. Which um, I like that a lot. The uh, the bowl and the back of the guitar just kind of makes holding the guitar kind of awkward. Yes. And so I, I want to put in um, velcro script velcro script strips. Excuse me. Sometimes my with the stroke I had it uh, muddies up my speech. My brain's okay, but my mouth sometimes doesn't want to work. So anyway, put Velcro, Velcro strips on the back of it, and that held it in place in my lap very well. And it was a good sounding guitar, and it was really good for slide. Um, but uh, and I played that quite a bit. In fact, I wrote the song "Chocolate" while playing it. Actually, it decides to uh, revert to uh, the twelve string to record it and play it out. The, um, there's um, one of my, besides acoustic upholstering, uh, my uh, acoustic workhorse was um, a Fender uh, Stratocaster Acoustasonic. The limited edition guitar, it's mine is red. It uh, looks like electric guitar, uh, but it's not. And um, those who um, picked it up to play it right away, they think, oh, Lord. I thought I was playing a leisure guitar. You <laughs> couldn't bend the strings and play it like a regular Stratocaster. It's um, it is a workhorse. It's um, it's all around good. Uh, stage and tune it sounded good. Great for slide, and uh, it's used it a lot. I don't, I don't remember if I actually recorded with it, but for as far as my gigs, particularly with uh, crumpled crumpled hats, I pretty much always had it with me. I've got a lot of other guitars down in the basement now, um, unfortunately gathering dust. But um, when the time comes, they'll find good homes, you know? Now, I'm curious, that a Telecaster that you, you purchased back in the, the, the mid-1960s, what color is that one? Blonde. Blonde. And how about the Stratocaster, the workhorse? Blonde. Ah, now was that by choice, or they just happened to be the ones that were available at the time? Uh, both. They are available at the time. I bought the Stratocaster, I mean the Telecaster at Denman Music. Which yep. was, um, I don't know if it exists anymore. It was in Bethesda at the time. And then the uh, Stratocaster I bought at uh, Southworth Guitars when it had its shop in Bethesda. 
got shot or started off in um, the northwest Washington, in the Palisades area. And then um, they opened up a much larger shop in Bethesda. I don't know if he's still there. But Gil Southworth um, ran it and owned it. And that the Stratocaster, I bought it some used, I bought it in the 90s. I think I bought it for $577 or something like that. It was a great guitar. But since I um, hot-rodded it, changed it up, it would not be nearly as um, valuable had I not. But that's okay. I um, had a good time with it. I did a good bit of recording with it, and I, I'm, I'm happy. Now, when you when you had your your stroke, did that make it impossible to play the guitar, or just difficult? Impossible. Um, my left arm and hand, um, despite years of um, therapy, never never came back. And um, so, um, my left leg is uh, recovered. A good bit. My walking is, um, I look more like Frankenstein than, than Todd Walker when I walk. Well, as long as you can get from point A to point B, who cares, right? Yeah, yeah, as a matter of fact. As far as playing, I've um, started playing, you know, trying to play with just one hand, but I had to turn the guitar, put it on my lap, Turn it um, the opposite way. So I, I try to play one-handed, upside down, and backwards, and um, had very limited success with that. <laughs> um, but I did. Um, I bought a electric piano. And I did learn a good bit on it, you know, with the one hand, which is fine. Um, so I was able to, um, at home anyway, still. Play around and with the music and so forth. But what I had the most fun with is um, a gift from my family. Something called a, see if I can say this, dulcitar. You will, dulcitar, how do you spell that? It's a combination of dulcimer and guitar. Oh, I've seen those. Yeah, I went to my daughter's house one day. Um, and um, I, her husband, who plays guitar and so such, um, had one in their living room sitting on a, on a stand. And I thought, wow. And so they handed it to me, and I just started playing around a little bit, and I thought, I have to have one. So when my birthday, a couple months later, there it was. They all got me one. Well, actually, what they did is they, um, had me go, well, my wife, my wife Cindy and I, go to Chuck Levin's, and we, um, and I bought the dulcimer there, and they bought it, but then that's where I got it. And, um, I work with it, I play, um, one-handed, by hammering and picking with one hand. It's, um, nice little challenge with one day I I was playing with it and um, I recorded a little ditty, about 15 seconds worth of it, a little ditty that I had been working on with the Dulcetar. And I, I recorded it with my cell phone. And then one day I, I sent it to um, my good buddy, um, Eric Selby, who's a renowned drummer. And um, and he heard it, he said that, it, um, that he wanted it, that the, um, the um, when I say wanted, he was in the midst of recording his first solo album, where he's singing, and of course playing drums, singing songs that he'd written, and um, it has been out since um, April last month, and it's um, really getting a lot of traction. Um, called Do Baby, D O comma Baby, and it's um getting 
tons of airplay and great reviews. Surf, he's played on his radio show, doing well on the um, first song. It's called Conversational Snow. He has me, that little ditty, that opens the, the song. Your ditty? Yeah. Oh, terrific. It, it opens the song and it takes off from there. Now, in some versions, you know how on CDs you can have two songs back to back that if you choose to, you just play them. And it's like it's, it's seamless, just, just one song. I think on the CD itself, it's like one song, but it's um, the radio and so forth. They have the option of um, not starting with the ditty, but going straight into the song. It's cool in it itself anyway. But um, I really like it. And Eric's working on another CD now. He's played a couple of tracks for me. He's really got it. He's really nailed it. Um, but the, the title of the album, Do Baby, when he was a, a little toddler, and his parents say, I'm, or his father would say, I'm, I'm going to go out. Who wants to go with me? And Eric, I do, I do, I do. He's always saying, I do. And so his, his um, siblings uh, finally started calling him the do baby. <laughs> he would do anything. So, and he, he tells me that sometimes they still call him do. And so the album is a do, comma, baby. Do baby. Got nothing to do with wild sex. <laughs> well, I'm going to have to uh, go on his website and, and have a listen. I would love to hear your little ditty at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, it's... um, I, I'm honored by it. I was honored by Jim Ebert recording um, Say You Will with his um, Cancer Can Rock. It's really made a lot of difference. I like the idea. And... Um, Oh, um, back in 2018, my um, the guy who produced my first two solo CDs, Blake Alton, his outfit is called Human Factor. He he produced my um, second chair, and then the Surge CD. And um, anyway, back I guess now at least a couple of years ago or so, I came across a a, a recording. I don't remember making it, but it would have been at home, like sitting in front of a cassette recorder or something like that, of a um, an instrumental, um, like called the painting. And um, I sent to him asked if he, what he could do with it. We got a hold of it, and he produced it. He turned it into a, a um, kind of like an epic instrumental, and it. Um, it also got um, a lot of uh, airplay. It's um, it's still on the um, the painting is still on the radio in um, in Europe, in Australia. It's currently now on the playlist about uh, five hundred fifty radio stations over there. And that's the song, the painting. Yes, the painting. Wow. So even though, you know, with um, the health issues, my friends are really, my friends, my kindred spirits have really rallied and helped me with this song. The chocolate CD, you know, my friend, um, Krigus Canelli, I engineered, produced it, and Eric Sobey was the executive producer and also played on it, all the songs. And um, we had recorded about half of it before the stroke and set idle for a good while. And then Vegas and Eric um, finished it up for me and uh, we got other people to add, add to it. Um, old um, bandmate Jim McAndrew played uh, organ on a song called um, By Grace Alone um, with Cletus and um, Eric played on it. Eric played all the percussion. Um, Cletus, um, he played a little piano. And Abby, uh, Abigail, uh, and Selby 
and then Abigail Palmer now um, played harp, beautiful harp on the one song on that CD called Home. But she and I talked about it and uh, you know, a lot of people told me it was great just as it was. But in my mind's ear, I, I thought about harp and I thought, that'd be beautiful. And she and I talked about it. She wanted to know what I wanted. I said, I just want you to play on it. Just see what you feel is right. And don't worry about playing too much or whatever. Just just, just embellish it all you want. And she did a beautiful job on that. And um and Holly Montgomery, you know Holly? Oh yes. She uh, played bass on the uh, the tune um, Stress Be Gone, which is um not just up tempo, it's runaway railroad fast type of song. And uh, she was just perfect. She's a great bass player. She's a phenomenal singer. And she's um, just as great as a bass player as well. I don't know if everybody knows that, but she is. Well, isn't she better known as a bass player, playing with different people and um, even touring a little bit? I don't know if she's better known as. She does that a lot. She's um, back to play bass in, with a number of people. And she uh, plays bass in her own rock and roll trio. She plays um, usually with the Buddy Spear on guitar. Buddy's the one who played slide guitar on Stay You Will that Lynn Hollyfield sang for me. And um, on drums, Andy Hamburger. Andy Hamburger. And he also played drums on Say Well. Um, she's um, backed up on bass, um, uh, Marianne Redman, and I'm, I'm not remembering who else, but but she is a member of a group called Mustangs of the West, which is a California band. Mm-hmm. They're recording, they got a CD out now that's doing well, and they're a touring band in Europe, the works. And um, she's, um, I think, I forget the four or five of them in the group. It's wonderful. Wonderful group. Holly, she's doing these, um, I think it's every Tuesday night on Facebook Live, doing their um, solo shows on Facebook. And as usual, she's all very entertaining, uh, a joy to be with and to, to listen to. Check her out. Well, I had her perform at my Sunday songwriters probably about seven or eight years ago. And that was before I even knew that she performed or played the bass. It was years later where I saw a photo, I think, and she's holding a bass guitar. And I thought, gosh, that's different. And she tells the story that early, very, very early on, for some reason, you know, she picked up a bass and she knew that that was the, that was the instrument for her. Yeah. Well, you know, we've been talking about your CDs and yeah. how do people go about purchasing them? You can go to um, CD Baby. You can go to Amazon. You can go to iTunes. You can go about anywhere. And they, and they could go right to your website as well, I would think. Yeah, on the website, the, um, the discography, Say that word for me. Discography. Oh, just, just, yeah, I have trouble with it. Yeah, it uh, has links to, um, to those, those, um, internet retailers. And you're, and also, I'm sorry, go ahead. And there's also a link where some CDs you can buy directly from me, mm-hmm. which is cheaper than the, um, regular on the internet, but the, um, the supply is getting low uh, in terms of what I have on hand, but um, you can download all any of it um, forever. But you can still get hard copies. But um, these days, hard copies just apparently not selling you know, that well. And I, I understand that because, especially with the younger people, they're all about digital stuff. But I still like to hold the CD in my hand. Yeah, me too. 
it just you know and i do download it onto my computer but i still have the cd so i can open up and look at it and if there's lyrics on it you know i can but your website is secondchairless.com yeah it's less with one one s one s now why is it called second chairless okay um my daughter mandy uh grew up taking classical voice lessons and she um was in every school play or musical that she that she could every one of them she tried out for all of them and she always got a part whether it's singing or acting or whatever and uh, she was very passionate about it and there's one production she did not win a part for and um, rather than feel sorry for herself or show anything like of an ego problem she told the, the director that whatever he wanted um, her to do on the crew, it didn't matter. She just wanted to be part of it. And I was more proud of her for that than anything. That she, um, being second chair, so to speak, still means you're first class. And um, that's how the name second chair came about. And it was it, it was also the title of your first solo CD, was it not? That, that's correct. And uh, and she went on to be a uh, and also with the National Philharmonic. Wow. So, so she did she did good. Yeah. There was a, there was a reason she was in all those plays. Now was that something that she kind of did on her own, or did you and your wife kind of? help her along and say, why don't you try this? Why don't you try that? Yeah, nobody needs to tell her. She, um, she's always been an independent-minded uh, girl, woman. I mean, she, she listened to me, but uh, she wanted to sing. We were happy about that, and we are happy to pay for her voice lessons. She wanted to be in the school plays and musicals. We are happy about that and supported her all the way. Now, does she live close to you, or? Yes, she lives um, about a half hour away in Annandale, Virginia. Yes. Mm-hmm. She and her, her husband, who is, um, she met, because he was also a vocalist, and um, including the National Philharmonic. Um, he's a real opera singer. Um, that's how they met. Them and their, their three songs that they are now. And they still do some music. They sing at their church and so forth. You know, when the boys grow up, we'll see what she does. Sure. So what are you, what are you listening to right now for music? What's your favorite stuff that you're listening to? Well, that's, um, did you say recently? You say recently, I don't have to risk offending people from, say, six months ago. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But um, lately, things I've been listening to, I'm a big fan of you know, uh, Butcher, her last name. Not that his heart was, well, it's hard for me to say. Mary, Mary Baratia. Uh-huh. I met her at... Um, Brewer's Alley, and um, she was headlining one night, and you guys brought her there, and um, we, and Dulcie Taylor and I were also there that night, so we were co-headliners. And I met her there, and um, we saw her, you know, after that as well. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, she uh, released a, a CD called The Heart regardless yeah i just love it and there's one song in particular i think it's called can't drive that fast i just love that song and she and i had the same record promoter i mean bill Ritz, he's in nashville so she and i um were on a lot of um playlists together and bill had um he had promoted 
um, chocolate, chocolate for me. And during that time, it's also when Mary's CD came out. And so I'd find us on the same playlist, which is an honor. Um, I'd see Dominic Scala yep. in playlist. And, um, you know, others, Craig Cummings. Yes. Um, Patty Reese. And, you know, a lot, a lot of our local friends on, on playlists um, all across the nation. A lot of the things to Bill. He's just far reach. And he's a great guy. Now, of all the recordings that you personally have done, what are your top two favorites? Oh, boy. Yeah, songs or CDs? Uh, actual actual cuts, songs. Oh. Well, well by default, there's one called uh, I Love That Lived-In Face. <laughs> what a great name. I wrote it with my father in mind. You know, we got older and he um, always had this twinkle in his eyes. His face was um, well-worn, wrinkled up. But um, you just look at the guy and say, just look at that face. And I love that lived-in face. And um, that's what the song was inspired. And so... I recorded, um, geez, um, I, I, I think it was on the uh, second chair. Pretty sure it was. Um, pretty good when you can't remember which song your CD's on. Um, anyway, I, I like that one. I enjoyed playing it out and um, enjoyed recording it. And uh, part of the enjoyment is because it's, um, the first time I recorded it was with Michelle Murray and Rick Crump. Oh, yeah. We had a trio called Murray, Crump, and Hatley. We, um, we weren't together all that long, but we did some cool things together. We, we uh, were recently nominated for a Grammy. We recorded a CD, we finished it, and we broke up. Oh, no. There were five, there were five songs on it. Two that Michelle wrote and sang, and two that Rick wrote and sang, and one that I wrote and played, which was um, um I love that lived in face. And but on that recording night, I did it on a twelve string. Now on the second chair, I did it on a nylon acoustic classical guitar. And um, it wound up um being on. An MTV um, show, the episode, um, a Latino show called I Want My Marriage. It was an episode that starred Lucy and Jorge, Jorge, or how do you say George in Spanish? George. It's uh, Jorge. Yeah, that's it. And um, it was also featured on a um, Learning Channel, TLC show called Meet the Putnams. And it was um, more of a big deal on that show because I earned a whole lot more royalties on it than the others. And if I'm, another favorite is called Little Dancers. When my kids were, I'm sure, little, they, um, I'd play guitar and they would just dance and dance and dance. My son's little feet would uh, it'd be like running in place. It's so cute. My daughter, she would spin around and around. She'd put this uh, <coughs> skirt on that um, hung all the way down to the floor. I think it was my wife Cindy's skirt. And she would twirl around and the skirt would twirl around. And um, they were my little dancers. And um, the, the, the instrumental is really upbeat. It's like a kid's song. Um, but it was um, featured on a uh, Animal Planet, you know, first a Discovery uh, show called Mischievous Dogs or Puppies. 
Um, and they're, they have a series they call it Too Cute. The puppies, they're just too cute. And um, so Little Dancers was used on one of those shows. And um, it was also used on, and I, I, I have a hard time understanding why. There's a PBS show um, called a uh, series called The Contenders about various presidential candidates. Mm-hmm. And the episode four was about um, Jerry Hart and um, Reggie Jackson. No, Reggie, I mean, Jesse Jackson. Yeah. For some reason, Full Dancers was on that one. I don't know why, but, but they paid me role this for it, so it, it, you know, they, it was on there. Um, but the, um, the coolest one, though, I thought, was an Animal Planet show called um, Puppy Bowl. They put it out every year around the time of the Super Bowl, but it'd be a show of little puppies playing football. It's a really cute show. And um, Little, Little Dancers was on Puppy, Puppy Bowl 14. And so I have to say those two songs are my favorite, maybe because they um, made it to television. I guess I, I guess that would make it anybody's favorite. But, um, anyway, those are my, my favorites. Now, which CD is your favorite? Uh, I'm not quite sure um, of my actual CDs that are solo. There's the um, Chocolate, Surge, and Second Chair. Um, I think Chocolate is probably my favorite. The Chocolate, you know, my, the other CDs were very much reduced. I mean, they, uh, Blake Alton, who produced them, does a great job. And he's a big deal now. Um, he produces, and he's the one who did that painting for me as well. But Cletus and Eric produced it with chocolate, which really was really just about me. They didn't um, try to overproduce me or try to get me to change tunes or anything like that. They just brought out their best of what I could do. And um, and also probably had more as a result of that. Maybe that's why in some ways it was a lot more successful than the others. Other than that, one of my um, favorite CDs was uh, called It's About Time. It's a CD I recorded with the group I was in called The Shakers. This is a long time ago. And um, well, this one was um, in the year 2004. And it was um, me and some other guys that um, were some of my, my heroes as well as my, my buddies. Um, my, my hero, Eric Wolfong, who has since passed away. Eddie Becker, who's a bit of a DC legend guitar player. Ralph Brown, um, our drummer, great guy. Great guy, smooth singer. And... Um, I mean, Jim Horn on keyboards and Waverly, Waverly Myler, who was still real active as a blues singer and harmonica player. Um, and we recorded a CD called um, It's About Time. One of the songs called It's About Time. But it was the first CD that I played on, to my knowledge, anyway, that got airplay. And um, I remember I managed to listen to it on radio as one of those, well, wow, you know, I can die now. <laughs> and then I, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, so how many songs, how many cuts from your CDs, not just yours personally, but like the, the It's About Time one, have made it on actual what you and I would call old time radio, not necessarily 
online radio, or maybe both. Have you had good success, like the 15 or 20 of them, or 5 to 10 of your songs have made it on radio? I would say probably closer to 20. Um, yeah, there's um very, very fortunate to um, have a lot of airplay and the um, second chair had a lot of um, individual air, um, song played in the air, particularly overseas, where it made um, international top 200 artist list a couple times. And um, the surge, that was on the National America, Americana chart, um, top 500. For most of the year 2013, um, Dave Will, the song, has, um, yeah, I have no idea how many uh, stations. Um, the United States alone, it was uh, on, I'd say at least 120 stations. Um, um, well, in chocolate. Yeah, are you familiar with um, Roots Music Report? Hi. Yes. Are you, are you familiar with uh, Roots Music Report? I am not. Yeah, it's a it's a radio tracking service, and um, the, the, the the album Chocolate was in their top two hundred national. Top 200 album chart for the years 2018 and 2017. So you've been very successful. I've been very lucky. Well, I'm, yes, I, under, I understand the luck part of, of, of music and the arts, but it's not always just luck. There has to be talent in there for the luck to happen. So kudos to you. Well, thank you very much. Um, as far as luck is concerned, you know, I just and 2015, 2015 is when I was inducted, not indicted, but inducted into the uh, Maryland Entertainment Hall of Fame. And that, um, I didn't understand it. I figured maybe since it came 50 years to the month after my first gig. Yeah. I think I thought maybe that's just like a, um, a gold watch thing, you know. And you, if you last 50 years, and then here's to you. But um, I, I, I have all these things that I, you know, you ask about that I can cite. But um, there's only so much you can um, credit to yourself. You, um, none of us um, can do anything purely by ourselves. And uh, whatever God's will is, is what's going to happen. Um, I think about some of the stuff, and I've interviews like this, and I think, but, no, man, you're making a whole lot more out of me than you should. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's like you, you titled your book, Kindred Spirits. Yeah, that's, that's what we all are. Yeah. You know, we support each other and we'll do well. Well, it's so much fun for me to chat with you because in the whole time I've known you, I don't think you and I had more than a two or three minute conversation just because I was usually involved with running a show or we were in the same show where one of us was playing or we were both playing at the same time. And so the conversations were always very minimal. So this has been terrific. I thank you so much for joining my podcast. I've enjoyed it. You know, just matter of fact, I just got a um, another call that after this I'll I'll call him back. But Mark Osiznik just called me. The the Rock the Potomac. Um, yeah. Right. And I'll call him back. He's been very supportive. But I thought I was I was just talking about him a little earlier in the show, and, and here he's calling me. Well, I'm going to let you go so you can call him back. This show will go live. I will send you an email to let you know when it is live probably in about three or four days. I'm trying to release one 
about every week or so. I don't want to hit people with too many too too soon too often, but uh, this has been terrific. Thank you so much for joining me in this conversation. It's been wonderful for me. And I can now say that I have spoken to a global artist. Right. And I've spoken with a uh, Frederick legend. <laughs> well, listen, you have a good chat with your, your friend, and I will let you know when the show airs. And Les, thanks again so much for chatting with me. Thank you very much, Todd. All right. You have a good rest of the afternoon. Take care. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Well, that was Les Hatley, terrific guitar player, very successful, as you could tell. And unfortunately, with the uh, connection there, whenever I would make noise on my end playing the music or speaking, it would create a crackle. And unfortunately, there was a lot of it in that during that first um, cut, the uh, song Choc- Chocolate off his 2017 CD, Chocolate. But... A wonderful man, and I am so looking forward to his book, Kindred Spirits, when it comes out. It sounds like it's going to be out, hopefully, sometime this summer in 2020. And we're going to end the show with another cut off of Les's CD. And I don't remember exactly whether this is off the chocolate CD or not. I think it is. The title of this song is Calm. The Wispy Mop Music Acoustic Radio Podcast Series is produced by Todd C. Walker at the Wispy Mop Music Studio in Frederick, Maryland. All the music on the podcast is played by permission from the artist. If you're enjoying the series, please feel free to share the link, wispymopmusic.podbean.com. Or you may find the show on either iTunes or Apple Podcasts. And the song we're listening to, Calm, is the one that was um, less referenced where he said, Abigail was playing the harp, Eric was playing percussion, and Cletus Canelli was playing piano. <laughs>